Welcome to College Soccer Nation, the premier podcast focused on NCAA collegiate soccer, featuring SMU head women's coach Chris Petroselli and Old Miss head women's coach Mad Mod. You can download and listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And if you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your soccer friends. Now let's go to Coach Petroselli and Coach Mott. Welcome in to College Soccer Nation. My name is Matt Mott, one of the co-hosts of the show. We are here on a Monday afternoon. Bright and sunny skies here in Oxford, Mississippi. As I look out my, my window, I want to bring in Chris Petroselli, our other co-host. Chris, how are you tonight? So I'm good, Matt. It's... Uh... Bright and sunny skies as I look out my window as well. <laughs> That's good. So we got a lot to get to tonight. Uh, a fun show I think we have on on tap. Uh, we have Jeff Hooker, the head coach of the uh, University of Denver program, who's just done an unbelievable job there over a number of years. So be uh, a fun to talk to him, right? Yes. Yeah, I think Jeff will be uh, a great interview and a uh, great guy and I, I was a great player and a fantastic coach. Well, and, and our top five, our, sorry, our power five this week is an interesting one, right? It is the, the uh, top comedy movies of all time, which people that know me think, oh, I sure Matt has millions of them. But with you, you know, you don't really, you kind of lack a sense of humor. So I'm not sure if you know comedies. I don't feel great about my list. I got to be honest, but couple good ones I, I struggled i struggled with it i gotta be well, honest again mr sense of humor maybe you just think you're funnier than everybody else well i, I think you know uh, i think uh we'll see we'll see okay. but anyway um right. it's uh, it's question time chris question right. time this segment has blown up i've got six up. six questions for you tonight i've okay? got one for you oh wow okay all right the first one comes from matt from uh, Matt from Oxford, okay? <laughs> Matt from Oxford wants you to tell him um, what went on with the SMU women's soccer season this uh, year. Sure. Well, first of all, Matt from Oxford, uh, someone stole your name and location and asked a stupid question. So I just want to make sure everybody knows that. <laughs> I mean, you do have a sense of humor. Uh, all right, so... Uh, the SMU season. So as we hit, uh, well, as we went through the fall, our team was uh, was really good and uh, no problems with COVID. Everything was great, cruising right along. And we hit January. Um, and two things, a couple of things happened that I think impacted us immediately. The NCAA made two decisions that hurt us. One was they made this decision to allow players to opt out, meaning you could not play and keep your scholarship money. And I think a number of kids around the country went, yeah, that sounds really cool, right? <laughs> so uh, we actually had eight players opt out, and that was a big, uh, obviously a big chunk of our roster. Um, the other decision they made was they said, okay, people can leave your program without a problem, and you're not going to be able to replace them with anybody at mid-year. So any of the mid-year enrollees couldn't play. So we had a couple of those who then couldn't play. So we started with a small number. We hit uh, January. We're supposed to play first week of February. And we got to the actually the day before the first game. And we had some COVID positive tests. And obviously that canceled a couple of weeks of games. Um, we rescheduled some. And we were getting ready to start uh, conference play. And we had some more positive tests. Um, 
And so then we got to a point where we had a season that was scheduled, just conference games, um, two games a week over the course of four weeks. Um, and we also had injury issues. We had three kids who hadn't recovered from injuries they took last spring. So they weren't back quite back yet. Um, and we, it didn't look great that we could get through that stretch playing all the games, but we tried. And our, mm -hmm. our thought was we were going to try to play every game, any game we could play, we'll play it, right? Whether it's one game or eight games, but we're going to try to get these games. And we played the first game, uh, won the first game. It's the first game in a year and a half. Yeah. Um, and three days later, we had to play again. And, and looking back, I probably shouldn't have played that game. We only had 13 players in the first game. So, and two of them were on limited minutes. They played about 20, uh, 30 minutes total between the two of them. So most everybody played 90 minutes. They hadn't done that a year and a half. And we had to turn around and do that again on Wednesday. Um, and we, we turned around, we played East Carolina and, and all credit to them, they beat us in overtime, but we took a couple more injuries during the game. And that's why I say, I don't know if we should have played it. Uh, mm -hmm. because we were fatigued and those injuries uh, just knocked us down to a point where we had, you know, 11 players um, and two of them couldn't, could only play about, you know, 30 minutes total between them. Um, so we couldn't play the next one. Uh, and we kept going game by game, you know, we'll try the next one. We'll try the next one. Then we had an injury in practice and then another injury in practice. Um, and the team at one point, you know, it was like, well, we got 11 people. Let's, let's just play. And I had to sort of pull them apart and, and, and point out that look at these nine players right here, using you nine players, step out. These guys can play 90 minutes. Okay. Now we have these three over here. These three over here can play a total of about 40 minutes. That uh -huh. doesn't make up 11 players playing 90 minutes. So we went game by game, game by game, game by game. And we got to the end and we still didn't have enough players. And I know there was a lot of talk along the way. You know, the first three games that we canceled were Memphis, South Florida and Central Florida. And I think there was the sense that we were trying to duck some teams in order to make our record good, in order to get in the conference tournament. And, and I could see that from the outside, why somebody would think that. But that isn't really what was going on. We just didn't have enough players. We were trying sure. to get there and trying to get there. <clears throat> and we got to this last weekend here and and – and we couldn't do it. So we, we played two games on the year, won one and lost one. Um, and we'll move on to next year. Yeah. Really, really disappointing, you know, season, obviously hate it for you, hate it for your players more than you actually, you have another season coming next year. And, but I'll be honest because obviously, I think most people know we talk quite often you and I, and, and talking you to you during the whole time, there was never this, Oh, well, we shouldn't play, central florida or we shouldn't play memphis because we you know we can't because we we don't have enough players it was always we don't have enough players we don't have enough players we can't play it like wasn't about who what the competition was or who you were playing you were obviously very fortunate to be able to play temple and ecu and then just wasn't able so i you know the competitive balance or the competitiveness of all the coaches start to question what everybody else does at every league but i think i'm here to tell you i, I was kind of with you with you during the whole time and just not enough players. It's, it's just kind of hard to play without. I mean, yeah, yeah. Not, nobody can do that. So it's yeah. just too, it's just unfortunate. But I think it's important for you to to put it out there and, and people understand really what happened. The entire season is just disappointing for sure. So it was. Uh, 
COVID sucks, Chris. There's no other way around it. COVID sucks. And injuries aren't any fun either. (laughs) So anyway. I'm confused. I got one question. Can I ask ask you my question? Sure. Okay. This this question comes from Greg in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. Okay. Greg would like to know, Matt, if you were a breed of dog, (laughs) what breed would you be? That's so easy. Golden Retriever. Happy. Everybody <laughs> loves me. Everybody loves me. I, I hairy, can hairy. I, yeah, very hairy. I gallivant around. I can fly across the field or neighborhood I had or whatever. As a Saint Bernard. That's what I had. <laughs> yeah. You know, the rescue dog, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. That's no, that's better. That's better. But you know, golden retriever, you know, everybody loves a golden retriever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what about you, Chris? What would you be? Oh, I'm the Italian like like Greyhound. No, you'd be a Chihuahua. No, I'm the Italian Greyhound. Uh, I mean, a Chow, a Chow. <laughs> Italian Greyhound, what do they do? Yeah. What do you mean, the fast? They're <laughs> Italian. <laughs> All right, Greg, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, ready for, are you ready for something? Yeah. All right, so this comes from, uh, this comes from Andrew from Phoenix. Yes. Okay? It's funny you talk about the dogs. Out of, out of, this is the question. Out of all three of your kids' dogs, which one is your favorite? <laughs> um, out of all three, well, Nikki's dog, Baines, lives with me. Uh-huh. So it, would, it would have to be, at the moment, it's Baines because she's here every day. So I'm going to have to go with Baines. All right. Question number two. Why is this again, Andrew from Phoenix? Why is Nikki boycotting the podcast? Nikki's boycotting the podcast. What's that about? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think that Nikki talks a big game, right? So, like, if he hears something he doesn't agree with, which is everything, okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, he's listening. I know he's listening. <laughs> so he's just telling you he's not listening, but yeah, he's listening. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he is such a Petroselli. Yeah. Well, that. Well, uh, Andrew. Andrew, Gabby, and, and Eve wouldn't do something like that, but you and Nikki, 100%. All right, last one from last one from Andrew from Phoenix. Who is your favorite child? Does that boy have nothing better to do? Come on. <laughs> All right, I got some more. You can, you can leave. You can, you can not answer that one if My you My favorite want to. child is Dean Mott. There you go. <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right, here you go. You ready? Yeah. This is a real question now for the podcast. Explain to me the differences between the Premier League and Champions League. We have a lot of listeners that aren't necessarily, you know, up on soccer. So give us that answer. So the Premier League is made up of uh, the best teams in England. Uh Champions League is made up of the best teams uh, in Europe. So, for example, um, the top four teams uh, in England would play in the Champions League. Uh, so you take, you look at the best league, all the leagues in, in Europe, you take the top, you know, anywhere from, from one to four teams uh, from those leagues, depending upon the strength of the league, and they go into the Champions League. So, so what I think people struggle with, Chris, is Bundesliga, right? Um, La Liga, all yeah. the different leagues. So how can we compare it to American sports? You can't. It'd be like, well... No, you can't really because the, the they're playing at the same time. That's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. So you're playing the Champions League at the same time as as the Premier League. 
right? And we, we really have nothing in American sports that's like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's kind of like, I would say, I, th- I think if you took, maybe we can ask Brian, he can, you know, he's always has theories on this stuff, but maybe if you took, you know, Major League Baseball yeah, in America and Major League, and then they have Major League Baseball in Japan and Major League yeah. Baseball in here and there and wherever. And then they took the top teams from those leagues and played each other in a big right. global tournament right. all season long to become up who is the best major league baseball team in, in the world. That's Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Last question. Um, hold on. Let me. All right. Uh, detail to your listeners how the women's NCAA soccer championship will work this year. By the way, this is Brad from Oxford asking these questions. Well, that sounds to me like something you should answer. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's 48 teams um, going to the tournament. There will be 16 that will be seeded at least. We still don't know what the final seeding number will be, hopefully more than 16. Those 16 teams will get a buy, so that's a very, very valuable seed. Um, and then the other 32 teams will play a first-round game that is matched up with one of those seeds. So two teams will play. The winner of that game will play, um, like if Florida State's the number one seed, Florida State. Um, and North Carolina's number two seed, two teams will play and play them. And then, then you'll get down to the 16, and then the 16 will play off kind of from there. So 16 to eight to four to a champion. So that's how it works. It will all be conducted in the state of North Carolina. That's kind of the bubble. I guess they're putting a bubble over the state um, and trying to limit travel and time it is a shorter tournament it's pretty quick turnaround for for the games um once it gets started we're trying to limit the amount of people uh that have to uh to travel and how long they have to stay so that is for brad and oxford that's the best we got yeah that sounds about right okay um all right shall we move on let's move on all right well let's welcome in our uh very esteemed guest uh Chris, I feel like every time we introduce him, he has another accolade. So you want to share with our yes. listeners his newest accolade? Conference USA Coach of the Year. So this guy keeps ringing them up, right? I mean, it's another one after another one after another one. You know, Matt, we're just lucky to get a little bit of, a little bit of his knowledge on the show. It's embarrassing, actually, that he just comes in for this little segment. I mean, he really should be the marquee person. It should, you know, we should put... We should put him in a picture in our in our little uh, our little this we'll recognition. Yeah, caricature. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Mister Three Hundred, Mister Coach yeah. of the Year. What more can this guy do? It'd be, it'd be a pretty thin guy. I think they draw. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it fit. <laughs> we can fit him in. All right, Brian, welcome to the show. What kind of dog would you be? I don't know. First off, the listeners can't see me shaking my head at you two. Um, <laughs> But what kind of dog I I would be an actual like golden retriever. You're you're a Saint Bernard, Matt. If ever there was a like Saint that. Bernard, you started jumping on the golden retriever, and luckily Chris got it corrected. Um, I, I'm more I'm one of two things: either a golden retriever or just a mongrel, just a mutt. <laughs> he, that just kind of fits my background. He's, uh, he's a greyhound. He's a greyhound. You know, racing in the dog. You know. The ones that have been put out to pasture, but they keep running. That's that's Brian. Keep betting on them. Come on, bet on me. Bet on me. <laughs> oh, Brian. Uh, welcome to the show, Brian. Congratulations, by the way. That's awesome. Coach of the Year. Yes. Congratulations. Well, tell me your opinions on this because you guys have had a lot of those. The, the, the Coach of the Year stuff, 
it's not really coach of the year. It's just overperforming team of the year <laughs> reflected by, we're going to name the guy in charge, the coach of the year. Don't uh, you think? I do think Ooh. overperforming does give you a good chance. It's not necessarily the guy who had the most wins or the best season or first place. Right. Because, yeah. you know, somebody like Anson would get it every year or something. Right. But, it is overperforming does come into play, yes. Yeah. So it really it's team of the year, much more so than coach of the year. Yeah. That's just my two cents on it. So yeah. we call it we call it coach of the year, but whatever. Um, hey guys, what you got today? We got some exciting stuff going on we in the good NCAA. Stuff, Brian. You ready to go? I'm ready to go. All right. Let's rock Here and roll. We go. Let's uh start with your favorite league. And I think the um, from last week's show, um, what got the most feedback was your description of the Big Ten tournament. Um, so here we go. Big Ten tournament. Tell us about it. Well, we got a little upset brewing. I like the idea that I was um, pulled a couple upsets there. Uh, Rutgers over Ohio State. Not too much big pitcher into that one. Indiana's the team that was a bubble team and drew Penn State, which looks the clear top team in the league. So um, Penn State won that one. And then Wisconsin snuck by Northwestern in penalties, which could have been catastrophic for Wisconsin. So now that they've got a shot with that game against Rutgers, kind of a, a play-in game for them to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, you should probably mention, right, a couple COVID issues for teams, so – you know, Michigan didn't get to play Indiana when Michigan was certainly on the bubble. And, and unfortunately, their season had to come to a close. And then um, Nebraska, too, right? Nebraska had a had a positive, And so they didn't get to play their semifinal. So really credit to Iowa, too. And you think about it, they played, they played Illinois, right? And then and Minnesota didn't play. And then they had to come back and play Minnesota on Sunday and, and got an early lead and held on. And held on. Uh, um, so credit to Iowa, for sure. Yeah, maybe it's a little... Uh a dream performance here. You know, I, I want to say they only had one or two wins during the regular season, but that's it. Talk about coach of the year. That's a good coach. People argue about conference tournaments versus regular season, who should get the NCAA bid, all that kind of stuff. Um, but in situations like this with Iowa, where, you know, it really our goal through the year is just to make our team better. Right. So everyone who wants to argue the regular season champion, well, when we start in the, in the fall or this year in January, our goal is, uh, hey, can we peak at the end of the season? Can we grow every day and make our team better? So these conference tournaments are a little bit judge of who's the best team at the end of the year, who's on good form at the time that really matters. So uh, it's interesting to see with Iowa. Fingers crossed they can keep it, keep it going. We all love an underdog, Matt. We do, Brian. We do. All right, let's move on to the uh, Pac-12. Um Utah with a good, a good weekend uh, with wins over Arizona and Arizona State, and really putting a putting a little bit of a, um, a hurt on them as far as you know where they stand for the NCAA tournament. UCLA clinched the um, uh, the league title on on Friday, and then I think really knocked Stanford out uh, yesterday. Oh, some key games there, Utah. While they're not having the season they would like, they're finishing the season as the death dealers, aren't they? That's a huge blow to Arizona, huge blow to Arizona State. And now here comes Colorado riding high, and they've got Utah in the last game. And if, if Rich Manning does it again, maybe we just dub him 
the death dealer, as he may have uh, played his own little game, a knockout of the NCAA yeah. tournament, one team at a time. And the Stanford game, well, how late were they up 1 0? You know, seeming like, oh minutes, boy, they're yeah. going to 15 minutes to go. They're going to make this rebound and sneak into the NCAAs, and no one's going to want to play them. And then it was kind of wah, wah. As yeah. soon as UCLA scored, you could see another one coming. So that that's it for Stanford. You got to believe. Okay, then there were there were a number of other results around the country that uh, I think have uh, will have some impact here in the next week. Uh, West Virginia with the draw with Virginia, great save by the goalkeeper near the end of the game there that that got him the draw. Clemson over South Carolina, um, and clearly I thought Clemson was a better team there. Oklahoma St- Oklahoma State beats Notre Dame. Texas A&M with a big win over TCU. Uh, Duke in. Uh, and Vanderbilt draw. And also the Rice Owls won a big trophy. How about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, we did. <laughs> the um, hardware just keeps coming. The hardware just yeah. keeps coming, Chris. That, that's an interesting run of games, you know, and it was great TV watching for those of us who played earlier in the week. It was kind of an awesome Saturday, Sunday to sit back and watch so many games. Really impressed with Clemson. Um, I thought that, you know, you, South Carolina is a good team, and that was one-way traffic. Um, A&M TCU wasn't streamed, so who knows how it happened, yeah. but a big 1-0 win. The Duke-Vandy game for a 0-0 draw, that was a cracker up and back. I thought someone was going to get a goal, certainly in the last 20 minutes or in the overtime, and nobody did. One of the interesting things I saw, and I don't know how, what you guys thought about it, how about all the cramping in game after game? Yeah. As a little bit of warmer weather starts setting in um, as we head for an NCAA tournament that's in the south and, you know, Cary and the rest of North Carolina is going to be a little bit warm. If, if this is the acclimation period on it, it that's going to be a rough tournament for, for some of these teams. I thought of almost every game, even some of the NWSL games, kids were going down with, with cramps. Yeah, it, it was interesting to see how many people went down. And I think there were a couple injuries along the way um, that I noticed that, you know, that you may, may have uh, an impact on some of these teams down the road. So we'll have to see how they recover after the weekend. And then, you know, going into these conference tournaments. I mean, Brian, you're playing in a conference tournament where you're, what, you're playing three games in five days? Is that what it is? <laughs> it is three games. It is Tuesday, Thursday, and then Saturday at noon. We're kicking off as early as you could just about kick off on Saturday. So, mm. And it'll um, be 87 degrees and 90% humidity. That's right. And so if anybody's watching, whether it's Rice or anyone else, don't tune in Saturday at noon to watch <laughs> the beautiful game. If you'd like to see what uh, crawling around the field trying to score one more goal than the other team looks like, tune in. It could be very interesting, but it's right. going to be a tough slog. Yeah, Brian, give us the uh, give us the uh, the times and the matchups here for for Tuesday. Well, the early games: Western Kentucky is the one seed from the East. They are hosting UAB in the early game. I want to say it's eleven a.m. and that'll be followed by. A really entertaining game, North Texas, Charlotte. Uh, And then the late session kicks off at 4 o'clock with Florida Atlantic, Southern Miss, and followed by Rice and Old Dominion. And, you know, one thing with with Conference USA, I I really think any of those eight teams could win the tournament. It's very, very balanced between the top seeds to the lower seeds. It's um, despite having eight teams in. um, If anything, there was Middle Tennessee's a, a pretty good team, and they were left out. Uh, by just one spot, so it should be really competitive. Should be did fun you to watch. see? Did you see, Chris, what happened in the A10 
tournament. They have a four-team tournament. So St. Louis has played uh, Dayton twice. No, sorry, three times. One time at Dayton, two times at St. Louis. Then they go to the conference tournament. It's hosted at St. Louis. Dayton plays St. Louis again. Four yeah. times in the same season. That's the one in the four. They're playing, and I guess the tiebreaker was a coin toss. Strange. Dayton won the coin toss, and they had to play. So three times in a row, they're playing St. Louis. I mean, St. Louis wins that. That's really impressive. Yeah. They beat them. And I think both of the other two games were one-goal games, maybe. But, um, yeah, the idea that you have to play the same team three times in a row, kind of Whoever brutal. made up that schedule and that that bracket and has no idea about uh, about uh, athletics, I mean, it just makes no sense, right? I mean, yeah. you don't want to play a team again and again and again. Right. Did you guys see the Buffalo situation in the MAC? I did. I did. I didn't. What happened? What happened? Chris, give him an overview. I, I I don't know if I totally get it in that somehow. Uh, who was the other team involved? Bowling Green. Bowling Green, I believe, got COVID and couldn't play Buffalo. Yeah. And when it came down to the end, uh, because of that game, Bowling Green and maybe Bowling Green missed another game as well. Bowling Green's points per game um, was better than Buffalo. Meanwhile, Buffalo, I think they were like six and one or some ridiculous uh, record like that. And, and, and then there was something in there about, there was a, a, a makeup date that was scheduled and agreed on by everybody. And for some reason they didn't play on the makeup date. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly the story. And certainly from the tweets and the news articles about it, Buffalo does not believe an earnest effort was made to play the makeup games in the empty week. Yeah. Um, and it, all the way through a statement today on Twitter from the Buffalo women's players. I saw it's, that. Wow. It, yeah, it's it's a little bit ugly. And it, it really re- goes back to everybody thinks the coaches are so much more congenial than we are. And <laughs> when, when, the, when you can – and I'm not saying Bowling Green took advantage of it, but obviously Buffalo's offended by it or has their opinions about it. I'm sure Bowling Green has their opinions. I don't know who's right or wrong. I just know we should have put these things a little clearer when we were yes. uh, coming up with the plans for the season and then stuck to it and just said, these are the rules, this is what it is. What we kept getting from conferences is, oh, everyone will do the right thing. And when I, I when I got told that, it, I – that's just not how coaches work. They're, you're, they get in coaching for competitive reasons. So if they can use something to help them competitively, they are going to push come to shove. And so we're all suspicious of the other guy, which is clearly part of the case here, whether it's true or not. And uh, here we are, and it's happened a couple times, gotten a little ugly. Would you let your team put a statement out like that? No. No. Um Regardless of the situation, you know, and maybe, you know, I don't know where that falls under coaches responsibility versus administrators responsibility. Um, But I mean, obviously it's a a really tough way to have their season end. Yeah. Um, But, you know, and it's social media too. Nowadays, everything's so fast and reactionary. Who knows who really checked through that before it did did come out yeah and i I would say this to you brian you know it's interesting 
all these leagues and all these problems and all these, you know, how many times have the, the ADs or whoever, the SWAs, had to go in and make decisions about decisions that were made in the beginning of COVID and not knowing how many games we're going to play and all these. Nobody was prepared for it. And I don't think very few conferences did a good enough job because just what you said, the coaches all were like, oh, yeah, that'll be fine. We can do that. We'll agree to that. Well, then, like one of a coach said the other day, and I, I kind of agree with her, when the game starts, the crazies come out, right? And the coaches become crazy because it's competitive and people want to win. And it's sometimes it's people trying to save their jobs or, or whatever it is. And we, we, we become crazy. And so now, like you're saying, you try and push it. I mean, I know people were probably accusing Chris of trying to duck games. He wasn't ducking games of people that were hurt, right? We had the issue in the, the SOCON where, you know, um, Sanford and ETSU was, there was talk of collusion. There was no collusion there. But there's talk of collusion. And, and so I just think that, unfortunately, the business we're in, nobody was able to prepare um, their leagues well enough to know what was going to happen in the season with, with COVID or injuries or any of that. Kind of stuff. So if we're added all together, opt-outs, kids not being able to play, all those things, no one was able to walk. No one had the time to walk through all those scenarios when we were trying to play, getting ready for games. Because everybody thought maybe everybody would do the right thing. Maybe that didn't always happen. Well, and, and in conference leadership, that, that those are tough roles. You know, they're trying to politically keep so many schools happy and um, their ability to police these things if if it wasn't agreed to before the season started is really diff- – it's hard. And, um, you know, they're not going to convince their institutions to, you know, side with the other side once they've kind of put their flag in the grounds. Uh, but it's a shame it's getting ugly. But really your main point there that I actually love that goes beyond COVID season. How many times do you hear about a coach, a man, woman, uh, young, old? You're like, man, he's a, he or she's a great person away from the game yeah. or before the game and after the game. And during the game, they're a total nutter. They're crazy. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, All right. Well, it. It's time for Brian's Brackets. Exciting, what do you got for exciting. us this week, Brian? Well, these are exciting times. We only got a week to go. Yes. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of flown by, and we've got some conference tournaments and some shrunk down conference tournaments. Um, but oddly enough, it's really shaping up to be one of the easier years to select the bracket, it would seem. There aren't as many bubble teams a- as normal, and there's really a solid group that are kind of way in the field before now and, you know, before these last couple games. So I really think you're only looking at a, a couple spots, maybe three, four, five, six at the most that almost need any debate for selection and, and then seating as well. But you want me to run through it real quick? I'll give sure. you a good summation. Sure. This, and this is just one man's opinion. Yeah. I would, we'll kind of start from the top FSU, boom, UNC, UCLA, Locked in as one seeds. UCLA plays Southern Cal this weekend. Can't make themselves any better. Can't make themselves any worse. The drama starts for that last number one, which is probably as interesting as anything to do with the field right now, where you've got several teams in contention. For me, if Penn State can finish off the Big Ten, despite not playing any non-conference games, you probably got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, definitely the eye test, they're in the mix. So if they can... They can win those last two games. I think it would be Iowa and then the winner of Wisconsin Rutgers. They should be a one. 
you know, for me, then you've got a group of teams, TCU, West Virginia, A&M, Arkansas, Duke, Southern Cal, that look solid as seed teams and clearly in the bracket. Behind them, Clemson, Vanderbilt, probable seeds. And then we get into these teams with maybe only one result or no result, but look really good on the eye test. So how much does the committee want to lean on that? Georgetown, Santa Clara, St. Louis, who despite being from a mid-low conference, they're locked in with the Arkansas win. They can lose in their conference tournament and get in. Um, Memphis, South Florida, winner of the AAC, whoever comes out of that, uh, should be very competitive for a seed on the flip. Either of them loses to Cincinnati, East Carolina in the semifinals, then they're going down to the bubble and may or may not get in. So they've got the biggest variance. The AAC winner could be a seed. Um, They lose in the semis, could be on the bubble to even make the tournament. Waiting in the wings for me for the seeds, Oklahoma State, Ole Miss, Rutgers, you know, and then the ultimate eye test team, Virginia. Chris, when you watch Virginia, what do you think? They are an NCAA tournament team. They are a top 10 seed, somewhere around 10 yeah. would be my guess. Yeah. If you're listing the teams I don't want to play and the, yeah. you know, your team's in, who you don't want to play, where do they come up? How many you got? It, how deep oh, do you man. get? Yeah, they're 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 in the they're certainly in the top five or six, right? Yeah, probably even higher, right? Yeah. Five six. <laughs> well, you know, in the end, it's gonna they're gonna be a big one for the eye test. Maybe you know they're probably safely in the tournament, but certainly for the seed, they don't have a win. No, they They've don't. They've got you know two and, draws. And will they? I mean, will they be uh, safely in the tournament? Is the question. I mean, I know they look great and and all of that, but we've said many times you got to beat somebody, right? And haven't quite done that. No, it's it, in a normal year they would not be in. I don't yeah. think in a you know twenty game season you could get in with two draws. Right. But it is a little bit of a shrunken season and in, in comparative. Um, but beyond them, you know, almost is locked in. Rutgers locked in. I think locked in. And those teams all have a chance for to get in the top sixteen. Locked in without a chance to get a seed. Ohio State and South Carolina, to me. And then we really hit the bubble slash work to do. You know, we talked about the the loser of the South Florida Memphis game. Where do they fall? Um, they've certainly got to win the semifinals. BYU's got Portland left win that game in. Um, Washington's got a tricky one with Washington State. They could fall down to the bubble if they don't win that game. Um, Washington State beats Washington. They're right there on the bubble, but they probably need to beat Washington. Colorado's got the death dealer. Rich Manning, who I, in, in all disclosure, I know Rich, but I don't know him well enough to be calling him the death dealer on a podcast. So apologies if he doesn't that like hasn't it. Stopped you. it. No, it hasn't You've stopped said it about me. 10 times. <laughs> Where is that Did you just make that up? Death dealer? I made what it up on the fly face. once I realized he'd beaten Arizona, Arizona State. Now he's got Colorado on his, uh, we'll call it death watch. Um, Arizona State, Arizona, that's a big game this weekend. Arizona probably doesn't look as strong when you take a good look at their resume as Arizona State does. So if State can win that, they probably still lock themselves in um, or very close. Arizona's, you know, kind of on their last breath. But if they win that game, they're kind of reawakened. Wisconsin has two wins over Arizona State if they win that game. They would have two wins, yeah. Which would make Um, it really interesting. Does make it interesting, especially when you're talking Pac-12, because so many of these bubble teams are Pac-12 where – I test, they seem pretty good, um, but they keep beating each other and, you know, no one stands down. 
head-to-head's got to come into play. You, you know, UCLA looks so dominant in the league, really, to be fair. They won, I mean, when's the last time someone won the Pac-12 with a couple games to go? Yeah. Um, you know, and then you're getting into the Big East semis, Butler, UConn. Neither really have a win, but maybe that semi would be a win. And if they get to play Georgetown in the final, losing PKs, maybe they got a chance. Notre Dame still sneaking around. They scheduled their way into TCU despite losing Oklahoma State. Maybe could be hanging there. Um, Indiana, normal year they're in. This year, probably on the wrong side of the bubble. And then you kind of got those high RPI teams that didn't get you know, just don't have the chance to play good teams. High point, unbeaten, Samford, Furman. It'll be a cracker of a final, but that's probably for one bid. And Hofstra is their normal Hofstra, right? Even, you know, Jeff Hooker, you're about to have on his Denver team. You know, maybe he can talk a little about what is it like to be so dominant in the regular season and then, you know, kind of sit around and wait if you happen to lose your conference tournament and see if you're going to get in after another great season. Uh, but that's it. I, that's really all the teams. You know, the the thing with that was I mean, we didn't talk about many teams. So yeah, that's a that's a small bubble, and there's a big drop off with about two, three at large bids still out there. It's going to be hard for the the committee to disseminate those last couple. Well, we'll know um, a week from Sunday, correct? Sunday. Uh, a week from Monday. Sunday. Monday. Next, next Monday. This time we'll Monday. have the bracket. Will be out. Yeah. Monday. Three thirty on. Uh, 3.30, uh, 4.30 Eastern on Monday. And we're hoping, we're hoping to get the chair of the committee on as a guest Not next guess. week. Yep. We're hoping that Matt can pull that off. We'll see what kind of juice he has. Well, we, we both will be traveling at our normal recording time, so we're going to record it at a different time, Chris, but you're okay. We may have to put the show out on Tuesday. Well, Matt, if that's what we got to do in order to get a quality <laughs> guest, then then we'll do that. You know, yeah, We'll make it happen. That's what College Soccer Nation does, Chris. It makes that's it happen. Right. All right, Brian, you got a team of the week for me. I do have a team of the week. And as two former Longhorn coaches, you might not like it, but it's got to be A&M with the win over TCU. Who knows what went on in the game? I tried to listen to the radio broadcast. That was brutal. So uh, the 1-0 win over TCU. And, you know, A&M was one of these sneaky, they're on the bubble yet they're in everybody's top 20 type stuff before that win. And in this shortened season, that's the type of win that takes you from the bubble to probably a pretty high seed. Yeah, I can see that for sure. I, uh, I went with Utah. Uh, you know, Utah oh, had, yeah, love it. They had two wins going into <laughs> it, and then they beat two NCAA teams or close to NCAA teams, two good teams in Arizona, Arizona State. So, so I went with Utah as my team of the week. Well, you know, do something like that. Someone might give you a little moniker. That's right. Something like that dealer. (laughs) All right. All good, Matt. Ryan, we should probably, we should probably congratulate Chris on winning the master's pool. Oh, yeah. The master's pool, the three of us, we all picked four guys and Chris, uh, Chris came victorious. Andy from a baby. Nope. No problem. And no so baby. all the compliance officers out there know we do these things for no, no money, but it, no it's no for money. something much, much, much more. Than, much uh, more. Yeah. Money. There's no. You money can't put a price tag on it. The yeah. and, no, and you, and you know what? The uh, the banter becomes so personal that it doesn't really become fun. You know, it's supposed to be <laughs> yeah. fun when it starts, but by the end, everybody's mad. <laughs> it's really well, so fun. Part of it is because you're so nasty. It's Chris's. Chris is the problem. 
in, in typical fashion, I had to moderate who's getting Dustin Johnson <laughs> for three hours and he missed the cut. So at that point, I didn't care who won. I just enjoyed you two fighting like sisters and brothers over Dustin Johnson. And then he didn't even make the cut. Um, yeah, it's how we roll. It's how we roll. Yeah. Well, good luck, Brian. And uh, yes, Brian. Good luck in the tournament. Any words for Jeff uh, Jeff Hooker as we we take him take you out? Well, I, I can't wait to listen to this one. This is really one of those uh, guys in our game who's um, a legend of the game at a smaller school. I'm sure he's had plenty of opportunities to go to you know a power five school, something like that. But it's the typical or it's atypical for said someday someone's going to replace this guy and. You know, to be the best coach in Denver's history, you just got to win like 25 conference championships after him. <laughs> you have to live forever. Hopefully with COVID, they create something that lets us all live forever for anyone to, you know, really top him on the records. Yeah. But he's done a great job. So anxious to hear his, his path and his methods. Perfect. Thanks, Brian. See you, all right, Chris, very excited to bring in our next guest, Jeff Hooker from the University of Denver. He's had a fantastic run out there with uh, tons of trophies and, and wins and uh, certainly happy to catch him just as this conference tournament season is starting. Another great, great year. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. It's nice to be back. Just flew into town from Kansas City today. So good to be back in Denver. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the first thing we always like to do, Jeff, is, is um, have you talk about kind of your path, like how did you get to, how'd you get to Denver? So kind of, you know, obviously you had a great playing career. Um, and then how did you land at Denver coaching the women? So I'll let you take it. Good question. Um, I grew up in Southern Cal, went to UCLA, um, uh, got some time team, Olympic team, youth national team. Um, I was playing before the MLS started um, in the, um, in the professional league there. And playing for the LA Heat, um, the team in Colorado, um, I think, played two years. The Colorado Foxes um, had been playing for two league or two years in that league. Uh, the team in LA folded, and then the coach of uh, Colorado asked me to come to Colorado. So I, I came out, signed a contract, um, finished out here, finished out a year, had a coaching change. And then I got another contract. And at the time, you know, those contracts were seven, eight month contracts. And uh, Martin Nixdorf, the, the owner of the team, wanted to stabilize it and put a little bit more money in. So there were about five, six of us that got a year round contract for a couple of years. So that's what ended up bringing me to Colorado. And then what ended up keeping me here was uh, playing with the Colorado Foxes before the MLS. Great. And how'd you get to, how'd you get to Denver to the university? Um, well, I had a coach, his name was Dave Durr. He was, uh, uh, the original coach of the Dallas burn in MLS. And, uh, Dave pulled me aside one day and said, Jack McDonald, the athletic director needs a coach over there at the university of Denver. They're, they're a division two team. Um, so there's, there's not a whole lot of effort, not a whole lot of recruiting, uh, or not, not effort, but time, spent in there. And this is something that you can do while you, while, while you're playing with the Foxes. And he said, I know someday you'll be a good coach. And I said, Dave, I have, I have no interest in coaching. I, I don't like coaching. I've never wanted to be a coach. Um, and so he said, well, what I did is in two days from now, I set up an interview for you to go and see Jack McDonald to apply for this job. And I said, Dave, I don't have a resume. I don't have coaching experience. 
I said, I have nothing. And he said, well, dig up what you can, do what you can. And two days went by and I didn't show up to the interview. So uh, Jack called Dave Durr and basically had a conversation with Dave. And Dave said, I'm going to fine you $100 a day until you go to the interview. You don't <laughs> job, but if you don't show up tomorrow, you're going to get fined $100 a day because you're under contract with me. I'm telling you what to do, right? <laughs> so I went there and met with Jack McDonald. He said, where's your resume? I said, I don't have one. Um, I haven't, haven't really coached before. I coached at, you know, the, the club level. That's it. Uh, and he said, well, see if you can put together a resume. Um, and then about a week later, ended up with a job that I never wanted to begin with. So that was, that was kind of the beginning of my coaching career. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. And you started with the men though, right? I started with the women and then Dave Clemens was coaching the men. Then what they did is after two years, they asked me to take over both programs. So then I, I was still playing professionally. So I did the Colorado Foxes in the morning. Then I would train the women uh, in the afternoon and then I would train the men after then. So that was kind of my day. Most of the days is training myself and then training two college teams back to back. Um, the split was made as we went to division one. Um, they wanted to have two full teams and they asked me to hire somebody. So um, at the time I was playing with uh, Chad Ashton with the Colorado Foxes, Colorado native. And I convinced Chad to retire come help me at the University of Denver. So after coaching both programs for a couple of years, Chad came in and we helped each other coach both teams. Just curious, why'd you pick the women as opposed to coaching the men? Great question, Chris. Um, I didn't pick, Chad did. Um, I was so desperate to get somebody good in there and I knew Chad would be a good coach. It's the same thing Dave Durr, you know, told me. I mean, Chad was a very cerebral guy, you know, attacking mid, never – you know, never national team caliber, but definitely professional caliber as far as an impact and being one of the, you know, um, probably one of the best non-national team, you know, attacking mids that I played with. Um, so he had torn his Achilles and he re was recovering, wanted to go back and sign his next contract. And I convinced him that not too many division one jobs come up. I used the same words that Dave Durr used with him. <laughs> with me and um, Chad, you're going to be a great coach someday. So why don't you come? And what we did is we both agreed that one would be the head coach and the other would be the assistant and we would coach each other's team. So for the, in order to, we, and what we had to do is we had to name a coach. So I, I, in order to get him, I said, Chad, I'll let you choose. I know you're great at both. And he said, well, right now, why don't I take the men and you take the women as far as head coaches. And then we sat on each other's bench and did each other's practices every day. Too. Awesome. Well, it's great. I'm sure a great experience for sure. Hey, what, I started looking up some of your stuff yesterday and uh, I counted 21 trophies. Is that right? 21 trophies? Is, you, is there a, a trophy case big enough for all those trophies? Um, well, you know, I had a trophy case when I was a little kid. <laughs> um, and I, I, I tried to tell my team the other day, you know, it, it was, uh, I was, I was, using kind of what I did as a story on Sundays for people that have Sunday blues and things like that. And that was my Sunday ritual as a little kid is I would go and have to dust my trophies off. And, and I told him, I said, you know, these weren't second, third, fourth place trophies, you know, so <laughs> you're used to winning, right. And that's, that's kind of how we grew up. And, and uh, so to answer your question, I have no idea. <laughs> Something that, 
you know, when my mom said, you know, to me, hey, you know, I can't throw these trophies away. You have to keep them for your kids. I said, mom, you can, you can toss those trophies. <laughs> you know, hopefully, you know, down the road, there'll be some new trophies. And yeah. uh, it turned out, you know, there's been some, and, and you know, they've been, uh, they've been in soccer. So yeah. um, it's, you know, I, I feel blessed and, you know, that I've had a lot of good people that have helped me and guided me along. And um, so if you have a trophy count, um, that's, that's, awesome. thanks. So <laughs> give me a, just give me a little sense of, of, why you think um, or how it's happened over such a long period of time, right? I mean, anybody, not anybody, but it's a lot easier to win, you know, one year or maybe, you know, a couple of years here and there. But I mean, this is over a long period of time that, that you've won these trophies. Like what, what's sort of been the constant of it? Um, how's it happened? You know, I'd say, Chris, it, the different challenges keep you interested the, the one the one question I get all the time is is why the University of Denver why you go somewhere else and what a lot of people don't understand as I, I was offered a lot of other jobs um, the backing that I've had as a from the University of Denver all the way through has been absolutely fantastic you know and with each challenge you know at the Division two level uh, I remember I think it was Lynn University that won the national championship and you know we beat them at home. Uh, in overtime, a four or five game where, you know, as a coach, I've never rushed the field and I felt like you need, like we won the World Cup, you know, it's a regular season game, you know, so, you know, going from the Division Two level to the Division One level um, was a really big step for us, right? We, uh, we built a $70 million plus athletic complex, uh, a soccer stadium came later uh, that we raised the first uh, million dollars for. So it's, I think it's just been the challenges um, of what the different conferences we played in, the different levels that we played in, um, you know, and we've, we've, you know, dabbled. I mean, the, the one year, I think we were, you know, in the, in the top 18 the whole entire year, you know, some of the, some of the weeks in the top 10 and those sort of things keep you going. I, I think um, one of the difficult things is, you know, having a change, you know, conferences, just, just when you think you, you have a better situation, some, some uh, teams might leave, and then your school goes in a different direction, you know, hurts your feelings a little bit. But then you kind of regroup and say, okay, who, who's the best and what kids are we going to recruit? Um, so I just think the challenges that we put in front of ourselves as a staff um, have, have really kept us going. You know, you get, you get a little bit lucky, and, um, you know, I, I, I grew up here at Denver – having nothing but one-year contracts. You know, the first time they asked me, said, will you, will you sign a two-year or three-year contract? I said, absolutely not. I don't want to be tied into something in case something bigger or better comes up. And so I think it was maybe four years ago, five years ago, that I signed my first uh, multi-year contract, five-year contract. And now I'm on my, on my second one of that. So, you know, for to have that respect from the administration and, you know, I've been through five, six athletic directors, you know, that, that's quite a bit. Um, and having each one of those guys have um, a different type of respect for you as a coach and teach you different things, I think those things help, you know, when you're going through and you're trying to have success, however you measure the success, right? So, you know, a, a lot of times as a coach, a younger coach, you're looking at the wins and losses and conference championships and trophies, like you said. It's not till maybe seven, eight years after that where you have players who come in as, you know, little girls and, you know, teenagers and, um, you know, into your program and they leave women, right. That you start to 
sort of recognize the influence that you have on people. So, you know, um, probably a lot of luck, Chris, to answer your question, but, you know, I, I think we've always, I've always had good people around me and with me. Um, I've, I've never, you know, wanted to have lesser people around me of, of being fearful, you know, of anything else. So I, I've tried to hire the best people that I can to get different opinions on different things. And then I think too, you know, everybody, everybody has their mentors, right? You have, you know, just, I mean, looking back for me, it was Ziggy Schmidt, you know, invited me to all the MLS preseason, you know, games there. Robin Fraser did the same thing. Uh, Greg Vanny, same thing, you know, so to be able to go to these guys is, you know, training sessions in the preseason and sit and have a beer and talk with them, you know, and say, hey, what struggles do you guys go through? And what we find out when you break it down in the end, we're going through the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Through player management, we're going through your star player being a little bit disgruntled. We're going through, you know, management of a team, you know, and things like that and relationships. So um, that, that would be my answer. Yeah. It's great. Hey, uh, Jeff, next question for me is talk to us about um, recruiting the Denver kids. You know, we look at your roster and it's mainly Colorado kids. What, what attracts them to the school? How have you been so fortunate? And obviously it's great soccer out there and you know that a lot of, a lot of programs come in looking for players how have you found that success in keeping those those Colorado kids at home and and, and really loading your roster with them? You know, um, relationships was one. You know, in order for me to <clears throat> kind of continue there to play with the Colorado Foxes before it was full time, you know, you had to do a lot of club coaching. You know, just like all the younger coaches have to do nowadays. And um, a lot of those guys are still running clubs. You know, around there. You know, Lauren Donaldson from Real and. Um, and, and some other people and, and clubs have merged and done different things. And so the relationships uh, and the trust, I think, that we have with other coaches, um, you know, you're, you're trying to get those players just like everybody's trying to get them. Right. And so at the end of the day, what the parent of that player is going to ask is, can I trust this coach? Right. And so um, but everybody's going to be asking that. Right. Chris is going to be going after a kid and, you know, his relationship for that coach is going to be, um, you know, very, very important for that coach to say, Hey, I, I, I do know this player or the, uh, I'm sorry, I do know this coach. I don't know this coach um, is um, I think very influential to us, you know, getting certain players. Um, so I think the relationships, with those coaches, you know, us being very visible and, and really working hard to try to, you know, if we can get a couple of the top, you know, five kids each year, uh, we're going to continue to, you know, be in the top 30 in the country is what we feel. No question. So I've seen your team play a number of times and it always plays a good brand of soccer. Talk to me a little bit about how you instill that, you know, sort of what are your principles of play that you stress and, you know, a little bit of an, an idea of how you're trying to get your team to play. Yeah. Good, good question, Chris. You know, um, it, there's a lot of the, you know, talk just the last couple of years um, have been about, you know, rolling the ball out of the back. Right. And, started uh you know a few years back with the U teams and and you watch all the coaches make kids roll the ball out of the back and you know it comes to a certain point where hey you're you're winning by a goal and your team's not having success doing that you know when do you kick it you know when do you decide not to play and when do you teach them you know how to win games and and do things like that you know for us we try to recruit the kids that can play and that can play soccer I mean our brand has been the best we can to play in through the midfield and to play up top. Um, you know, a lot of the principles, especially the last couple of years, is being able to get the ball from one side of the field to the other 
you know, for, for us, if, if we've switched the ball, even in, you know, our half of the field, we would still like to finish on the opposite side of the field and, you know, finding those players in the center mid that are cerebral that want to connect and do that um, is very difficult to find. Sometimes it, it takes a little extra teaching, it takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of um, instances where your ball, where your team is not successful, you know, making those passes. And, you know, the, the thing we stressed the last couple of years is just how simple is it to look over your shoulder and see where pressure is coming from, you know, and kids haven't been taught that at the club level. Um, I think the other thing, um, not to get away from possession, is just your team's willingness and ability to defend, right, as a group. And, you know, the higher you can win the ball up the field, you know, the less distance that you have to go, the less less um, um, distance that you have to possess the ball, less passes that you have to put together, you know, and things like that. And that that doesn't take away from, you know, we tell people all the time, our players, if the ball goes to the back from the midfield, there's no pressure and you look over the top and you see a great speed matchup, hit it, right? There's there's nothing wrong with, with stretching people out. You know, what we find in our conference is a lot of teams will try to take away the midfield in the midfield play. You know, when we uh, uh, last NCAA tournament game that we had, we, we faced Arizona and talking to the coach after, um, that's all they, they said, hey, we're going to try to take away you playing in the midfield, right? And so sometimes we're very, very good at adjusting, which we have to be. And so if we can't play through the midfield, how can you play from the back into the front without giving the ball back? So you're playing into a target player and then that transition when the ball goes over your head, the, what's the reaction going to be from there, right? So if you can hold the ball, knock the ball back, now you can play again and now you can set up again. And so that's what um, we, we've tried to teach them as much as possible. We've been, we've tinkered, you know, the last four or five years playing different versions of a 4-3-3. Um, we, we've talked a little bit about playing a 4-2-2-2, just haven't quite had the personnel to do that with players coming in off the bench. Uh, but that's something that I think that's a very high possession formation as well that uh, we'll try to tinker with in the future with the players we have coming in. All right. Another question for me, Jeff. Talk to us about playing with the, for the legendary Ziggy Smith. What was that like? Um, man, Ziggy was, Ziggy was great. Um, for, for me, the combination of coaches that were there, and very few people know this, but Steve Sampson was the one that recruited me at UCLA. Like He was the assistant coach there who's, you know, obviously a former national team coach. So he was kind of the head recruiter, so to speak, going after me. And then Ziggy, you know, would be like the closer, right? So Steve was the one telling me how great it was. And, and Ziggy was the uh, person that's a little bit more like me, very calm, kind of sound mind, and basically saying, what, what do you want to get out of your career? You know, what would you like me to help you with? What would you like me to do? And, you know, in the end, I, you know, I told him, I said, I'm a very strong academic, academically, but I do, I just, I want to play professional soccer, right? I'm very naive when it comes to that. You know, I a little Southern Cal kid that grew out in the suburbs, you know, uh, competitive soccer. We didn't have many clubs, you know, going on there at the time and really had to trust him and trust his judgment as far as he thought I was on that level, um, which kind of all came together and happened my senior year in high school with an invite to the youth national team. Um, and so that relationship was, was great. I remember, um, uh, the the day that I committed to UCLA, he came out and and this is back in the day. It's March, middle of March, my senior year in high school. He came out to Walnut High School out in Southern Cal to watch a game, 
and watched the game kind of sitting on the sideline, no chair, you know, just kind of sitting on the grass. And we came sitting after the game and he said, uh, he said, what do you think? And I said, well, Ziggy, to be honest, I've, I've, I've made my decision. And, you know, I said, this has been really hard. I said, you know what, San Diego state, when I went down there for my recruiting trip, I, I went to the, um, to, to a meeting, um, at, <laughs> and they gave me a key to the city, right? I went to city hall and, you know, the, the, the board of uh, people were there and I ended up getting a key to the city, right. In, in one of the council meetings. And so I said, you know, it's UCLA, it's, it's very tough to uh, compete with that, you know, for what you guys did for me. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm really, really sorry to tell you this, but I'm going to go to UCLA. <laughs> So at that time, he called me a name that I can't repeat. <laughs> I said, you know what? As, as a player being recruited, there's a lot of stress. So I just had to give you a little stick back a little bit. <laughs> Put the little fear in you that I wasn't going to come. But said, all along, I, I knew I was going to come. So awesome. Steve Sampson was there for two years. We had Dean Wurstberger after that, who was, who was awesome. So I just felt like my time at UCLA was, you know, just – a real high development stage for me. Um, it's, it's, you know, if, if there's one thing about Ziggy that he did at that age and stage of his career is he was a really good teacher, right? He was very calm. He, he didn't yell. He didn't scream. He'd pull you over and just have a conversation with you. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Why did you do that? And that's, that's the opportunity that I got when I was with the national team and the Olympic team with Alcus Panagoulias, who coached the Greek, Greek national team. Um, he was the Olympic coach and he, um, he, he did yell and scream a lot and swore in, uh, in, in, in Greek a lot, but in the end we had those conversations as well. Now, those are the things that really meant a lot to me where people just said, what do you think about this? Why did you do this? What are you thinking next? Um, what do you think about these changes? You know, um, talking about training sessions. Um, and so, you know, for me, Ziggy was what I, I would say didn't know at the time, but was more the base of what I am now, right? Without, without knowing that at the time. Because I think, you know, what, what he told me as well is as a young coach, you're going to go through stages, right? You're going to be overbearing. You're going to be underbearing. And then at some point in time, you're going to come back in the middle. And then you're going to choose kind of which direction you go after that. And so he was, he was totally right. But um, then, you know, being a pro coach, any preseason took me on, you know, uh, they been to so many different sites with him, with, uh, with Columbus, um, with LA, um, just with Seattle, you know, just everywhere. And I remember one of the first times I came to a preseason, I was standing on the sideline. I, you know, I didn't want to be in the way of anything or get in the way of anything or cause attention. And right away, he's like, Hey, come over here. He says, if you're going to learn from today, you got to stand next to me, you know? And I was a little shy about that, you know, just coaching a team, in a, yeah. and trying to pick teams trying to go through this and there's this young little hooker kid standing next to him you know trying to learn from him you know but those are the things that he was uh he was willing to do so really cool yeah. uh, did you ever did you over ever cross over with jim wayne uh no. are you silly okay no. he's he's much older than you isn't he <laughs> much older than you. apparently so apparently so <laughs> Hey, so you're you're. Uh, I noticed this today. You're fourteen to one one right now. Is that correct? That is correct. We had the overtime loss, Colorado, and own goal off our center backs back, and then we gave up gave up one in overtime. Um, kind of 
uh, one with a couple minutes left that uh, that shouldn't have gone in. But yes, it's just like a coach, he talks about the two that he lost. And uh, yeah, yeah, th- yeah, thanks yeah, for course. bringing my two losses up, Chris. <laughs> but you know what I noticed, Jeff, is um, there's only two teams in the country that have 14 wins. That's you and North Carolina. How about that? Well, that's Most awesome. In the country, pretty good. That's that's something that Clyde Charles and 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 Garrett would have picked up. Those two would have picked that up right away. Garrett Smith. Yeah. So tell tell us about this team. Like you're you're uh, now onto onto uh, the semifinals. Is that right? In the sum, in the summit is next. Um, we're yes. Uh, the conference tournament is the top four seeds are in. Uh, so the semifinal of the conference championship is on Thursday. Uh, final, if we make it, is on Saturday. And the team is um, obviously very talented. Is it? Uh, you have like one person who's scoring all the goals, or is it spread out among the team? How's that? How's that happening? It's you know it's been it's been spread out this year. Um, we we have had a junior by the name of Natalie Beckman, who um, we picked up as a freshman from Colorado. Um, and everybody thought she was too small. No one thought she was quite, you know, good enough, big enough, fast enough. And she has just been on a tear. Um, we, we played her wide mostly. We, she's played a, a little bit in the attacking mid. Uh, we had this girl, or we have this girl, Sammy Feller, who's been our leading goal scorer for the last two years um, from um, uh, Glenwood Springs, Colorado, up in the little mountain town up there. So from an athletic standpoint, um, you know, Sammy was, was probably our best attacking player, is our best attacking player. Natalie right now is is just cerebrally, you know, a step ahead of most people. Um, her ability to get goals and assists right now is is incredible. And then we have another girl on the right side, a local girl um, named, um, named Meg. And it, they're kind of dual threats, and they, they, they are both like five foot two, you know, just tiny little kids that can dribble and beat people and make it look silly at times, great servers of the ball, good. And so to have that dual threat wide and then Sammy in the middle, as far as our attack goes, um, I think it's, you know, it's very difficult. Like some coaches have said, you got to kind of pick your poison, right? If you're going to double team someone or you're going to put, you know, uh, a defensive player or a matchup, you know, on one side or do whatever, you know, we've been able to move these players around. And so I think, we just have um, a lot of diversity going forward and just comfortability on the ball. Um, and then we have a center forward, a kid from Southern California, Sid Sharp, who didn't play a whole lot of freshman year. And, you know, with injuries and things come opportunities. Uh, one of our starters uh, beginning of the year this year tore ACL. And so she was out and gave Sid a chance to play. And Sid is a post-up forward, just like Jeff Hooker. And the one thing that Ziggy always told me is he said, you'll end up recruiting players like yourself. Right. And so we have this player um, who is really coming to her own, you know, I, I would say struggled with the speed of the game and that, um, you know, the transition, you know, from club soccer to the college game, which you've seen a lot of freshmen, you know, sometimes. And this year she has been a horse and we've been just putting the saddle on and riding her and, and she's just been getting tons of minutes she can run into the corner, but she can hold any ball. She's strong and big and fast and can, and can score goals. And so that's the element that we didn't have last year, um, plus the growth of the wide players, plus Sammy Feller in the middle. And really, um, our, our system has kind of been more on a rotating basis and just in the sense of starting lineup the first 12 games, we never had the same starting lineup. You know, you're going to have 
COVID protocols, contact tracing, which you guys are well aware of, um, you know, and everything else, you know, then you're going to have injuries on top of that, you know, and then I think the other thing that's helped our attack is, you know, the outside backs. Um, we have a couple outside backs that can really get forward and do some damage, you know, a couple left footers on the left side, a couple right footers on the right side. So our, our depth has been really good, Chris. So, you know, it's, we have 31 players in a roster, which is, you know, too many. I feel it's hard to manage that many, um, but man, to, it's so competitive to get on the travel team right now. And I think that's, what's really helped us um, kind of push through and get, get, get those results we've been getting. Awesome. Awesome. Well, last question uh, for you, Jeff, is tell us, um, you know, we like to have every coach do this. So just tell us um, about Denver and the university and, and why you've stayed so long. I know you've touched on it a little bit, but your love for it and maybe maybe not as much about the athletics, but just the university as a whole and what, what attracts kids to go there. Yeah, it's, you know, we're a smaller private school. Uh, the, the feel of our campus is, um, you know, right around 10,000 probably five um, undergraduate, five graduates. So that's the feel on campus. You know, I, I, I went and we've been to different campuses and, you know, um, uh, all over the country, you know, and, and this one is, you know, in Denver, you get the brick buildings and the green landscaping and the unbelievable looking trees, you know, so the campus, the aesthetics of the campus are unbelievable. Um, the One of the best things, as far as experience goes when, when, when players leave and they talk about why they enjoyed the academic side of it, it's the ratio that we have 12, 15 to one ratio. You know, we've had kids, two of them in the last few years that have left number one in their department, number one in the engineering department, number one in the biology department. And what's that, that's enabled them to do is they were doing internships with the head of those departments between their junior and senior year, they were doing projects, for the head of those departments. So the contacts that um, the professors have and the relationships that we're able to have, um, you know, have just been, have just been outstanding. You know, we've had, we've had players, you know, have the option of either a, I have a job when I leave here, or, you know, we have three that got, uh, or two that got drafted into the women's pro league last year. One of them's over in Europe and one of them's still in Carolina and another one that went over to Israel and is playing in Israel right now. So we have a level of player. And then Kristen Hamilton, who uh, has dabbled with the national team, scored in her debut. Um, and uh, so, you know, the, just the diversity of, hey, I can go and play pro here or I can go and I can get a job here and just make sure that if education is what I want to have be a priority when I leave, you know, I can make that a priority when I leave. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Jeff, we appreciate having you, buddy, and um, certainly wish you a lot of luck in the uh, tournament this weekend and, and hopefully in the tournament uh, next weekend as well. I appreciate that, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's this great and uh, pleasant surprise for a Monday. Thanks. All right, man. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Jeff, so much. Take care. All right. Okay, Matt, what are we looking forward to this week? What's going on? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Trip to uh, Indianapolis. All right, We've got actually an um, exhibition game on Thursday against uh, Arkansas Little Rock. And then I uh, make the trip to uh, Indy for the uh, selection to get this field finally in place and the selections picked and uh, the bracket out so everybody can complain. Well, but, yes, uh, I was going to say, you better get it right um, because <laughs> it doesn't matter who you pick. Somebody's going to be upset.
and we're going to let you know about it. So, well, I would say to you that 10 people are, have been working very hard on it and will work very, very diligently this weekend to try to do the best job we can, but there's going to be somebody or a number of people unhappy without question, like every other year. So it's where we're at. Okay, good. It'll, yeah. it'll just roll off, right? Won't bother, you, won't bother you at all, right? No, I, I take it very seriously, Chris. I, I okay. hope we do a really good job and everybody that gets in, gets in, that should get in, gets in. Me too. Me too. Okay, good. All right. We got uh, conference tournaments going on, right? We got yeah. talked about Big Ten. The Pac-12 has got their local rivals. So, you know, we talked like UCLA, USC, Arizona, Arizona State, maybe, maybe a little bit of a playing game. Uh, we wish Brian luck in conference USA Yeah, and, uh, Samford and picker going for another yeah. trophy. Another trophy. You mean uh, he's chasing Jeff. I think he's chasing yeah, Jeff, he might be. Jeff Hooker on the, and on Jeff the trophy Denver in the summit is, is going yeah. for the trophy. Yep. We got yep. North Carolina and South Carolina. Is that an exhibition game or a regular game? As far as I know, it's a regular game at this point. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. And then TCU and Notre Dame is another good one. So a lot of, yeah, a lot of good games coming up this week. Absolutely. Should be fun. It's down to it though, right, Chris? Last week of the season, Saturday, yeah. no more games after Saturday. Um, so, or maybe it's Sunday, Sunday at three, I think is the last set of games. And yeah, we're getting to the, getting to the finish line, which is, is pretty exciting for sure. All right. You All ready right. for the power five? Power five. Let's do it. All right. So again, power five top comedies of all time that we have watched. Yes. Right. Yeah. All right. I go, I've gone first the last few times. Your turn to go first. Okay, I'm going to start with Airplane. I like that one. I almost had it in there. I actually almost had it in there, but I didn't. Good choice. I like that. All right, my number five. It's kind of kids kind of close to close to my heart, as you imagine. Tommy Boy. Yeah, I like that one, too. I almost had that one in there, too. <laughs> Chris Farley. Chris Farley. You love Chris Farley. He died way yes. too soon. Yeah. He was absolutely hilarious. Yeah. All right, your number four. The Hangover. Oh, I have that higher up, but I have that into I have that it's number two. Very yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, very good. So far, so yeah. good. All right. My number uh, four, Step Brothers. That's my number three. <laughs> I love Step Brothers. <laughs> uh, my kids, my boys, they're all watching. They they love it. Now my yeah, will quotes it all the time. Yeah. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. All right. Your number, that's your number three? That's my number three. Uh, my number three, Wedding Crashers. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, good very movie. funny. Good movie. Very funny, yeah. very funny. Yeah. The fa- the first uh, the first part of it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely yeah. fantastic. So, all right, you're number two. Gold member. I knew it was coming. <laughs> Austin Powers. Yes. I'm not a big Austin Powers fan. I actually think they were stupid. Uh, and I like I like comedy, but I like to believe it. I got no time for Austin Powers. I'm sorry. That's just how I feel. You like to I didn't think they were funny. And you put yeah, like Step Brothers on there. <laughs> yeah. You can believe that could happen. Uh, come on. Goldfinger? Nah, it's too much, too much nonsense. Too First much of all, nonsense. it's gold member. It's not goldfinger. Would... Goldfinger <laughs> with James Bond. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But anyway, just do it. All right. Uh, you're number one. What was your number two? Oh, my number two is hangover. Okay. Yeah. My number one. And you may see this one. The problem with this one is you, you may be a little too young for this one, right? Uh, Animal House. I saw Animal House. All right. Very good. Yeah, it's good. It's, uh, I like, is it Jim Belushi or John Belushi? Which one is it? Uh, John is in that one. John Belushi. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good. My number, my number one, Coming to America. Uh, Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall. I like Eddie Murphy, but I don't even think Beverly Hills Cop was better than 
than uh, coming oh, to coming America. Oh, Coming America was great. Uh, Darren would like to speak. Go ahead. Any list without stripes is immediately thrown out. So I had stripes on my other my military movies. We, we used, used it. We already. used it. That's why I want new ones. Um, uh, Coming to America was great. Eddie Murphy. They played all those yeah, characters. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, but we'll see. Coming yeah. to America was not great. Oh, the number the sequel, the second one. The yeah. Sequel, yeah, yeah. All right, here you go. My five: Tommy Boy, Step Brothers, Wedding Crashers, Hangover, Coming to America. Your five, Chris. Airplane, The Hangover, Step Brothers, Gold Member, and Animal House. All right, let the voters vote. Not much yeah, controversy. We'll good, good list. Two good yeah. lists. Yes. I think we'll see. That'd be hard to, hard to be. All right, let's keep moving. This has been a good show tonight. Uh, my restaurant recommendation. So we all have to go to Florida in Lake Mary area, most times for recruiting. So any coaches that are listening, the Four Rivers Barbecue right there in Lake Mary is an excellent barbecue place. You may have to wait a little bit because the line's usually long. But it's one of those really good places, Chris, where you stand up and you go through the line and you say, oh, I want a little banana pudding and I want a little sausage, maybe a little brisket. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of turkey, you know, whatever you want. Um, but you ask for a lot. Bread. You don't ask for a little bit. You ask for a lot. <laughs> no, no, but it's a great barbecue place. Four Rivers, um, I would recommend it. And they, they have them kind of all over Orlando or maybe even all over Florida. I know they're all over Orlando. So if you're in Orlando recruiting, stop by Four Rivers. You'll enjoy it. Good now one. you want to give a quick little Yankees update? Yeah, well, they finally beat the Rays. God, I mean, it's you know, they couldn't beat them last year. Rays beat them two in a row, and they finally won yesterday in extra innings. So, they're sitting at 500, fine. So early, you know, first week they went 500, and uh, I think they'll be good. Yeah, good team, good. I mean, how about Stanton hit a monster home yeah, run? Yeah, that guy can hit. Massive. Yeah. All right, been a good show. Thanks, Jeff, for being on. Brian with Brian's Brackets, the, the new coach of the year for Conference USA, only in his second year. Doing a great job. He was good. Um, good show, Chris. Enjoyed it. Let's take great. it out. Loved yeah. it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please uh, download us, College Soccer Nation. Give us five stars. Write a review. I did hear writing reviews are important. We'd love for your reviews. Let's know how we can get better. If you want to ask a question or a number of questions or have questions specifically for Chris and I, please email the show at either one of our emails that are listed at the end. Thanks again to everyone for listening. College Soccer is out. If you have questions for Coach Petroselli or Coach Mott, you can reach them at cpetroselli at mail.smu.edu or mmott at olemiss.edu. College Soccer Nation is presented by DJM Productions and available on all your fine podcast outlets. Download it, give a review, tell a friend.